biblical worldview has to start with God. How has God explained the world to us? What is God's worldview? It's God's explanation of God's world through God's word for God's image bearers. A biblical worldview begins with God's explanation. Now we're able to know God's explanation because he gave it to us through his word. God's image bearers use God's word in order to interpret God's world so that we might align with God's explanation. Hi, you're listening to the Zan Tyler Podcast. Hi, my name is Zan Tyler, and this podcast is brought to you by BJU Press Homeschool. Homeschooling is an exciting adventure we take with our children. One of the most challenging parts of this journey is choosing the curriculum you want to use. BJU Press Homeschool is a curriculum you can trust. All the books, resources, and videos have been designed with you and your child in mind. Their curriculum is educationally robust and rich, taking into account that children have different learning styles, strengths, and needs. Mom, you are in charge. BJU Press Homeschool is here to come alongside and support you. Do you need help with the teaching load, or is there a subject you just don't want to teach? Their amazing video courses are available for all grades and almost every subject. BJU Press Homeschool believes that homeschooling can produce a new generation of students who know God, love their neighbors, and stand firm in their faith. For more information, go to BJUPressHomeschool.com. That's BJUPressHomeschool.com. Welcome to the Zan Tyler Podcast. I'm your host, Zan Tyler, and I'm so glad you're here. I'm really thrilled to welcome my good friend Renton Rathbun to the podcast today. Renton has been a classroom teacher for over two decades. He doesn't look that old, but he's been teaching for a long time. His teaching experience has included both secular and Christian institutions, ranging from high school to college to seminary. He and his wife homeschooled their son, Daniel, through high school. He's now in college, and they have two adopted littles. So I want to tell you this about Renton before I give you his academic credentials. He's down-to-earth, funny, and he is a great speaker. So now let me tell you that he has four master's degrees in interpretive speech, creative writing, philosophy, and theology, all from different institutions, and he has his Ph.D. in apologetics from Westminster Theological Seminary. So right now, in addition to speaking at some homeschooling conventions around the country, he is the director of the Center for Biblical Worldview at Bob Jones University, and he is the Biblical Worldview National Consultant at BJU Press, and as you know, BJU Press is the sponsor of the Zan Tyler podcast. So Renton, we want to thank you for being here. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited. Well, listen, before we get started, tell us just a little bit about your family and how you got into homeschooling. Well, we we actually got in, um, well, a little bit about my family is that, uh, you know, we were, uh, my wife and I met at college and, uh, and we uh, our, we had our first child um, soon after we were married. We got pregnant maybe three months after we were married. And so we thought, we're going to have a ton of kids. Just a ton of kids, because it was so easy. Um, and so uh, we just thought, this will be great. And, um, you know, our son, you know, we had our son when we were living in Minnesota. And then um, a year goes by, and then two years, and three years. And the Lord just... Um, kind of shut the door on having more children. We just, uh, of course, we, 
we had, uh, we went to a doctor's. He was going on, and of course, everyone's fine. Everyone's healthy. No one knows why. It's the way, I mean, that's just the same thing. You never hear a real answer with these things. And so, um, one of the things we uh, we were dealing with was that uh, my job didn't provide a whole lot of money. Uh, turns out, teaching is not where you find the big bucks. <laughs> so, I wish they would have told me that earlier. Uh, but we just, you know, sending our sending Daniel when he was old enough, sending him to school, there was just no way. I mean, we, we did not feel peace about sending him to a public school. We, um, we certainly didn't have the insane amount of money that it costs to go to a Christian school. And, and I say that with, not with, you know, any malice, but it's just, it, it takes a lot of money to run a, a Christian school. And that is seen in the tuition that's asked for. We just didn't, there was just no way. And so my wife took on homeschooling out of necessity and then began to love it uh, because, of, because of what it um, allowed her to do. Um, we were allowed to teach Daniel, that's our son, um, in a way that he needed to be taught that he wouldn't have gotten that kind of attention with anyone else. Uh, I mean, my wife knew him in and out. And so anyway, we had a really positive um, experience going through uh, homeschool all the way through. Oh, that's amazing. And so he graduated from high school and then went on to college. He did. Yes. And now he's... When does he graduate? Or has he already graduated? Uh, He graduates this May. Oh, wow. and then he's he's going to have to figure things out because we just he's out of that. <laughs> yeah, it's great though when they want to come home when they're grown. We love yeah. having all of our grand, grown kids here every time they come. Um, mm-hmm. So, all right. So, let me ask you this: How did you develop your passion for biblical worldview studies? Mm. Well, a lot of it came. Um, it came when uh, I was teaching up in Minnesota, and I was walking through the hallway. Now, were um, you teaching was, high school or college there? This was a, a small Christian college in Minnesota, um, and uh, I'm walking through the hallway, and one of the students came up to me and said, an airplane just hit a building in New York City. And my first thought was, she doesn't know what she's talking about. That doesn't happen. <laughs> she must have seen something that wasn't real. I just did not believe at all. And then someone and and someone else said it, and I thought, is everyone seeing the same video? I just I still did not believe it. And so um, when I went home, um, we were living on campus. Uh, we were <laughs> we were not making a lot, and so we were uh, <laughs> we needed free housing. Uh, this so, um, so at lunch, I'm going, I went home to my wife and I, and I said, Hey, did you, you know, these, the kids are talking about some and she had the TV on and I look and I see, I see, you know, it was, it was September 11th, 2001. And, um, and these buildings were on fire in New York city. And I just, and for the first time you see worldviews really colliding, if I can put it that way. Yes, um, something that seems so absolutely evil 
was celebrated by other groups of people, some groups still, you know, living in America. And, and for the first time, I realized Christianity is not common, is not what we would call common sense. Um, and what I mean by that is like, you know, um, a lot of these talk show hosts uh, that do uh, political commentary always talk about, you know, it's common sense, common sense. Well, there is no common sense. There's worldviews, and the worldviews have collided. And something seemed absolutely sure to these men. Um, as sure as I thought it was evil, they thought it was good. And I realized we have got to do something. Something has to be done. Because the world, we are in a reality war. And, um, and since 2001... Uh, we we now see we're still in a reality war. Um, you know, a a justice, a female justice doesn't know what a woman is. I mean, they, she couldn't define it. Um, you know, this is a Supreme Court justice who doesn't know what a woman is. I mean, this is the reality war we live in. And how are we going to teach our children what the truth of reality is? Because that's what biblical worldview is. It's getting across the truth of the reality our children live in so that they can think from that reality. So what did you do at that point? How did you all of a sudden pursue your biblical worldview passion? What did you do? Well, it started out, I mean, at that time, I was still finishing my MFA in creative writing. And okay, was I that finished, your first of four, um, first of four master's degrees? <laughs> it was sadly the second. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so, uh, so at first, you know, not a lot changed, but it changed the way I talked about things in the classroom. And then, of course, um, after that, we ended up in Toledo, Ohio, where I was teaching at a secular college, which really made me, you know, put me face to face with this reality war we were in. And it drew me to my next degree, which was philosophy. I wanted to talk about these things to my students. I didn't know how to get there, except for getting a degree in philosophy would allow me to teach philosophy courses. So I, so I worked on a degree in philosophy and started teaching philosophy courses at the, at the college there. And that's where I really started to explore how it is that I'm able to um, to talk about these worldviews. Now, back then, and I have to say, back then, I mean, that was I that was back in the in 2005, 2006, when I first started teaching philosophy. And I have to say that because back then you were able to say a whole lot more. Um, and be able to do a whole lot more in a secular classroom than you can do today. Hmm. Um, uh-huh. I would get the Bible well, was, out. Yeah, there was still well, free speech. <laughs> yes, know? exactly. And not just free speech, but it was, you know, a professor was seen as one who was able to profess. And um, students weren't necessarily customers, they were students. Um, but all of that has changed uh, now, and now we have customers, not students. We have, 
we have um, activists, not professors. So, um, but what I really started doing is exploring, you know, what what's going on? How do I convey to my to my unbelieving students that this is a reality war? And so, I did that for a while, um, but didn't find it as satisfying because you still can't say everything. And so, what I did was I started working on a. The fourth masters that was in theology, <laughs> and and then when did you when did you start teaching at Bob Jones? Okay, well, or working for BJU Press? Yeah, that's an interesting story because um, I was uh, in order to work on my PhD, the school that I was working at allowed me to teach fully online. So when I was, so when I was living in Philadelphia, um, at you know, working on my seminary degree, I was teaching online courses for a school in Toledo, Ohio, and that worked out really well for a long time. I even moved down here to Greenville to help a friend out who uh, needed uh, someone to teach some seminary courses at a at a seminary down here. And um, so we were down here, living here, and then uh, the school suddenly changed its rule policy about online teaching. You can still teach fully online, but you had to be on campus twice a week, which would mean we would have to move back to Toledo, Ohio. And so my wife and I took a big leap of faith and said, nope, we're staying here. And I adjuncted as, you know, as much as I could to as many schools as I could to make a living. And we were looking for full-time work. And my wife looked at BJU Press. And they were looking for a, um, a biblical worldview specialist. And I told my wife, I said, I don't think so. I mean, <laughs> what does BJU Press know about biblical worldview? They don't know. Uh, and so I just said, Forget, honey, don't worry about that. You know, This is one of the many times I tell my wife, honey, you don't know what you're talking about. And uh, the Lord humbles me, and then I listen to her, and it changes my life. So um, she, uh, she said, honey, you need to stop being proud. You need to find out what they think about biblical worldview. So I said, fine. So I, uh, we bought their 11th grade biblical worldview book. And I read that thing from cover to cover. And what I realized was they really have it. I mean, I was inspired by that book. And so I applied for the job because of that book, um, because I thought, if this is the way they're thinking, something special is happening over there. And so um, what I did was uh, I applied, and by the grace of God, they looked past my terrible personality and hired me, and I was able to uh, work there and, uh, and as a biblical worldview specialist, which was a really cool job. Um, I got to, uh, you know, you get to sit around and just talk about uh, all these issues and ideas and finding strategies for biblical worldview through math and all these different things. It was really cool. Anyway, that's how that happened. That is really amazing. So you moved here at that point? Yes, we were here and um, I I gladly took the job and... Um, and that's when I, they, 
you know, they said, well, would you be willing to speak in different, you know, venues? And so I ended up doing that. And so we, uh, so that was added to the, to the work, which really was exciting because, um, because there's something special about, uh, the venues that BJU Press has when it comes to their VIPs and their special events um, and being able to spread the word about biblical worldview and its importance. Yes, their annual Biblical Worldview Foundation Summit for homeschool leaders. So, yes, there's mm-hmm. so much. So when when was that? What year was that that you started? That was 2019. I thought to myself, I better hurry and get a job before COVID. <laughs> so I grabbed that job because I knew COVID was coming. So, all right. So let's talk about a definition of biblical worldview. Okay. Well, a definition of biblical worldview is not as easy as you would think. So what I found was a lot of people had definitions of worldview. And the best definition is in our book, is in the BJU Press's book um, for 11th grade. Uh, and it, it goes something like this. Um, it's uh, beliefs, values, and assumptions that stem from a big story about the world that then um, um, something about the big story also creates kind of uh, human culture. And so what, what I found interesting about that is that that big story is where worldview comes in. What's the big story in our head? Is the big story that everything just came about by random chance? Is our big story that uh, the God of the Bible is true? What is the big story that runs through my head that makes sense of the world? Well, when people think of a biblical worldview, what they often think of is that a biblical worldview is just, you know, biblical assumptions, biblical ideas, and biblical, and, and biblical beliefs that then are from your story. But when you think of a biblical worldview, you're not... Um, I had to think of that closely because I thought, well, a biblical worldview doesn't start with me. So, you know, my beliefs and my assumptions, those are important but what's a biblical worldview? Um, a biblical worldview has to start with God. How has God explained the world to us? And so, if I can put it this way, and I don't, I don't mean this in a, in a terribly literal way, but what is God's worldview? And so, um, I began to think, well, it's God's explanation of God's world through God's word, for God's image bearers. And so that's a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview begins with God's explanation. Now we're able to know God's explanation because he gave it to us through his word. Um, And so if we were to reverse that, how do we use a biblical worldview? We might say God's image bearers use God's word in order to um, interpret God's world so that we might align with God's explanation. You know, this is so important, too, for homeschool moms and dads that are teaching their kids at home to understand that worldview, a biblical worldview does encompass the choices we make on a daily basis, but it 
also um, encompasses how we view academics, which is so important when we teach. I know I've told you this story before, but you know, Joe and I were converted during the Jesus movement in high school, um, both for young life in different cities, and we met in college. And we were really involved in a serious Bible study group. We'd get up sometimes at five o'clock in the morning and have prayer times and Bible study times and share our faith on campus. And, you know, we were really committed to the Lord, to Jesus, to his word. And, um, but I can remember after college, I thought I was going to law school and I ended up getting married and having a baby instead, which was wonderful. We went to see Francis Schaeffer's video series, How, How Should We Then Live? And the moderator of Francis Schaeffer, I've got to go back and rewatch this, said, and you know, there's a biblical worldview for academics, say economics. And I'd been an economics major. And it was like my world stopped. I could, I could, I can remember that moment like when JFK was assassinated where I was or when the twin, when the twin towers came down, I know exactly what I was doing. Um, And that was one of my moments in life. And I thought I've been, I was raised in the church. I've been a serious believer for six years. I didn't know there was a biblical worldview on academic subjects, on economics. Surely if that's true, somebody in the church would have told me. And Mm -hmm. so I really had to retrain myself in how I thought because I never wanted my children to have to go through that process. So this is really important to me as a homeschool mom, talking to other homeschool moms, because sometimes we feel like we have to choose, um, are we going to educate our kids to love Christ or are we going to choose academics? Well, the truth is, it's, kind of, it's a both and. They don't have to be mutually exclusive things. And um, I'm not, I mean, the priorities are definitely the relationship, but then the education occurs within that relationship. And so Mm -hmm. that's just a long way to say, I love what you're doing um, with the curriculum at BJU Press. And so tell us a little bit about the difference in worldview shaping and even the term biblical worldview integration. Okay. So biblical worldview integration has has a, I think a picture is being made like, with biblical worldview integration, there's this idea that um, there's this subject area that already has its history and its context and its ideas. And then we have the Bible that has its history and its context and its ideas. And what we do is we try and take this, the Bible and its ideas and we're trying to push it into this subject. And that kind of gives a, it, you know, biblical worldview integration isn't always that way, but it, you know, a lot of times that's how people are viewing it. But biblical worldview shaping demonstrates that there is no subject area that has its own history, that has its own um, context that is separated from God's word. And so what it does is it demonstrates that the history and context of every subject, of every idea, it stems from God's word, that you can't get away from it. So it begins in God's word, is shaped by God's word, and helps us understand it through God's word without changing the subject from the subject matter that you're dealing with. 
Interesting. Okay, so so maybe this will help us understand better. So is the Bible a textbook? Okay. Yeah, well, <laughs> um, no, because a textbook is, um, is concentrated on a certain skill, on a particular skill. Um, so math textbooks are concentrated on uh, mathematical skills, writing uh, uh, books are concentrated on the skill of writing. So we have all those sort of things. The question is, how is the skill of writing, how is the skill of mathematics even possible? Well, that's where Scripture uh, helps us see things. So because Scripture is as, as it is as God's Word, we are able to know how these skills are possible. Let me give you an example. So, um, you know, when your student, when your child starts learning about biology, you uh, like our biology book, our BJU uh, Press biology book, um, talks about uh, the scientific method. Now, the scientific method is a method. It's a model to help us understand the world around us. Now, a secular textbook will not talk about the scientific method as a model. It won't talk about it as something that we use to try and understand things. Instead, it will talk about how the model or how the scientific method actually leads us to something that's actually true, like objectively true. And what we find is that when you study these scientists, that they don't even think that way. Scientists understand that these models that we use really are ways to understand the world as best as we can with the way the model works. Um, but it's not going to give you absolute truth. Only God's word can give us absolute truth so that we know we can use these models and we can use and we can depend on our senses because God's word says that these things can be done. And so we actually have something grounded to start from that scientists that don't believe in the Bible don't have. We're actually learning how to do science even better because we're understanding the limitations of it. If the minute you take the limitations of science away, you lose what science really is and what it can do. You know, one of the things you said that I've heard you when you speak, I wrote it down, is that God's word makes all textbooks possible. Mm, that's right. And, um, you know, I love that. Yes, because textbooks are based on principles of truth, right? We expect a math textbook to have information in it that will still be true tomorrow and in 10 years from now. But that's because we believe in a world that's, uni that's uniform, right? We believe in a world that is orderly. But we can believe that because God already gave us those principles through his word that he is an orderly God who has created and designed an orderly world. And therefore, we can rely on those principles. And that's what makes that textbook reliable. Otherwise, the textbook, uh, even a math textbook, can be looked on as subjective or racist, which is what a lot of people have talked about with math even recently, how racist math is and how we need to use math to in a different way and not test it and not look at, a, at it with, a, 
with, as if it has objective truth to it. The only way you would really trust mathematics or see it as having some kind of objective truth in it is if you believe in the objective truth of God's word to, to even have those, that backup for when someone uh, comes up with these radically ridiculous ideas, even about math. You know, one of the other things I heard you say um, when I listened to you speak and you were talking about textbooks is that with the BJU Press textbooks, even in math, it's also teaching an important part of our worldview, and that's serving other people. So how do our math books or how do the BJU Press uh, math books teach kids to think biblically about their neighbors? Mm. You know, one of... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, um, what's wonderful is that we have these these people that all they do is think about these thoughts all day. How do we how do we understand math through a biblical worldview? And what's wonderful is that they've they've come up with these with biblical principles that tell us the difference between what math can do and what math cannot do. It gives us biblical principles about what we can be certain of and what we're not able to be certain of. And so those kinds of of principles are radically important when it comes to dealing with mathematics because mathematics isn't merely about finding numbers using, using processes, but it's also about how to think. And when you start understanding the limitations of math, you're also understanding the limitations of thinking. And it actually helps you think better. And when you're able to do those sort of things, when you're able to do math well, you're able to see how you can subdue and rule over the earth the way God told us to, as, imi- as imitating him, as, as image bearers, but ruling and subduing the earth in a way that shows love for our neighbor. That mathematics isn't something we do so that we can make a living. That's nice that it does that. But math is something we do so that we can love others because subduing and ruling over the earth requires that kind of love work that's expected of us from God's word. You know, and I also remember, um, I don't know if it was you or hearing another one of the teachers talking about the fact that um, students are taught through their different professions they can love their neighbors and love their culture by providing answers. And mm. providing jobs, and you know, so I, I don't know. I, I really found that part of service being part of our biblical worldview so important too. The thinking, the loving God, and the serving our neighbors is just a really powerful combination. It's very powerful in the in the day we live in. I mean, imagine you know we live at a time where it is absolutely acceptable to hate your neighbor if they don't agree with you politically or they don't agree with you fundamentally about some kind of issue and hatred has become acceptable in our society. And, um, and you know, I don't want to sound all touchy feely, but it's very, it's very clear that Jesus, Jesus made it clear to us that the world will know that we are his, not by how smart we are, but how much we love each other. And that really is absolutely vital to helping young people understand 
the reality of how important that is, um, you know, that's part of that reality war. It is not reality that it's okay to hate each other. It, that is that is a false reality. The reality is not only are you supposed to love people around you, but even those that think of you as their enemy. And how do we get young people to understand their subject matter better whilst, while grasping those kinds of concepts? That is, that is, that's where the real hero work happens. You know, um, I know that your PhD is in apologetics. And so tell me the difference or explain to me the difference between biblical worldview and apologetics. And what do we teach our children and when regarding those two things? Okay. Yeah. Now, sometimes when I talk about apologetics, people think I don't like apologetics, but I do. I love apologetics. I spent a lot of time studying it. But apologetics itself is a method for defending the faith. Now, there's several methods you can choose from. I think they're, you know, there's, there's good points and bad points to each. And we can have that debate. But really what, what apologetics is designed to do is start from the position of wanting to defend the faith. Now the question is, what's going to make our young, our young people, our, our children, want to defend the faith? Um, I think sometimes we jump to apologetics, jump to a method of defending the faith long before we have even taught them what a biblical worldview is. Now biblical worldview is learning how to interpret the world around them through that biblical lens. And if we're not teaching them how to interpret the world around them through that biblical lens so that it hits them in the heart, because biblical worldview, uh, a lot of people talk about, you know, that it's all in the mind and, you know, and it's all a, a brain game, but it's not. Um, what you think and how you think is a result of your heart. So biblical worldview really does start in the heart, demonstrates itself in the mind, and shows itself in people's hands. And so I love that. And so we we have to get our our children embracing what this reality they live in. Um I I am uh constantly um disturbed at how much we have given in to the reality war. Um how much we have given in to the enemy uh with this reality war. When you read Ephesians 6, uh, some people are ashamed of Ephesians 6 because it talks about principalities and powers. Um, and what, we're, what it's talking about is that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. Uh, we wrestle with principalities. What's a principality and what's a power of darkness? Well, these are demons, and not just demons, but ranks and files and organization. I mean, they're organized. And Satan's, Satan's um, demons aren't just a bunch, you know, it's not like a, the, what we see on TV. It's not like the movies. It's not like any of that stupidity. They are organized. They have plans. They are at war. They have, they have um, ranks of, and file of soldiers 
and commanders, and we're acting like they're not even there. I mean, with my experience in the military, the, the kind of people you want to fight against are ones that don't know they're at war. Those are the best people to fight against. They easily are, are defeated very quickly. And I fear that in the Christian world, we have done the same thing. We have bought into the idea that we are at peace here in this world. And we are not at peace. There is no peace. Until Christ comes back, we are, we are fighting with all that armor. And that's the reality we live in. We have, we have tried to create our children as people ready for, for peacetime and a nice job and, and get married and have 2.5 kids and a nice house. And, and you know those are wonderful things, but they need to have those things in war, not in peacetime. You have your children in a, in a war situation. You're living in your house in a war situation. You go to work in a war situation. And a biblical worldview prepares you for the reality that we live in. I mean, I, um, you know, I know that the day, uh, the day that the Lord takes me home, um, the last thing I'll be thinking about are the degrees I got or the accomplishments that I have made. I'll be thinking of my children. Did I do a good job? What are they going to become? Are they ready for, the, for this war? Are they going to survive this war? Are they going to give in to the reality war that they are fighting? Um, those are going to be my thoughts. And, and with homeschooling, you have one of the best chances you're going to have of being the influencer of those children with the right curriculum that makes them see what reality really is, because that's our war today. Our war is not, um, it's not a cold war. We have casualties going on, and we've got to get serious about it. Well, Renton, thank you so much. Um, thank you for all you do for so many Christians and working um, with a curriculum that we can use to teach biblical truth to our kids. Um, along with great readers and academics and everything else, where I'm, I'm really thankful for that. So, Renton, what's next for my homeschool child after he or she graduates from college? Um, from college or I mean, from high school? Sorry, yeah. Oh, okay. High yeah. So, um, what's interesting is is that all, all over the nation. Uh, people are homeschooling because they saw the horrors of what's going on in the public school. And so they, they did something brave and they pulled their kid out of that public school and started to homeschool them. Then uh, what often happens is that they graduate from their high school's experience in homeschooling and Everyone's looking around for the, the local uh, university or the community college nearby. And somehow they think the local public university or community college is actually going to have a better experience than the public school system that they were in. And the truth is, it's much worse. Um, because what you have is something much different than maybe what people are expecting. 
I don't know if you've seen the movie uh, God is Not Dead. Have you seen that movie? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, in that movie, you got this uh, kid who goes to a public college, and he sits down in the room, and the professor is like, uh, who in here is a Christian? And the kid's like, I'm a Christian. He's like, I'm going to get you. And they're like, you know, there's a big uh, fight going on. And it's very clear to the kid where the, where the professor is. In reality, it has, I have never met a professor like that. Um, I've been teaching in public colleges and universities for 15 years, and I've never seen a, a guy act that way. Instead, what they do is they take the student through several very subtle steps to try and get them away from their faith. So the first step is not this brutal, I'm going to get you. The first step is acceptance. So what they do is they find a way to get the kid to feel at home in their classroom. That's very important uh, because if you can get the student's guard down, you can really reach them a lot faster. Because these professors in these secular colleges, they don't see Christian kids as an enemy. They see Christian kids as abused kids that have been abused by religion, and they're going to be the savior of that child. And so, you know, immediate acceptance is what they want the kid to feel. And so the child feels acceptance, their guard is lowered. And then um, what the professor will do will start separating them uh, their faith from the classroom. They might say something like, how many in here are religious? They'll raise their hand and say, that's great. That's awesome. It's cool that you can keep your faith in a cynical world, but, you know, but now we're going to talk about physics. Now, physics is different than religion. Religion, people have a lot of subjective ideas about it, but in physics, we have math. And in math, every, everyone knows what math is. Everyone agrees on math, and that's how physics works. And so you're separating yourself, Right from the faith. It's okay that you have faith, but you keep it over there. We're going to be talking about physics in this room. And then what they do is they then give the student some sophistication about, about their subject area. Sophistication that, that is packaged so well that the, the student might feel like they are smarter because of that uh, knowledge that they're getting. And there's nothing more powerful than, and maybe some homeschool families have seen this, when you bestow a kind of knowledge to a student, there's a bond because they're now trusting you. They've believed you, and now you have changed who they are. So what they'll do is they will, um, once you impart this knowledge, this knowledge then becomes a bond between the professor and the student. Um, the student now has almost changed their identity. I mean, you know, when I was growing up, I had... Um, uh, dyslexia. And, you know, that was in the eighties. They didn't know what that was. They just thought I was slow. Um, and so, you know, as I went to college, you know, I was encouraged, you know, my professors would say, Hey, you're good at this. And, um, this is, you know, you need to keep on working on this. You're, you have some talent here. And I was like, Oh, really? Really? Oh, okay. And, uh, and they would start telling me things. They would start imparting knowledge to me and it was packaged well enough for me to understand it. And I thought, well, maybe I'm not the dumb one in my family, you know. Maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I'm smart, whatever that means. And and that is a powerful thing that professors can have with their student, where they start thinking of themselves differently because of the knowledge they're able to understand. 
And once a professor gets to that kind of a bond with a, with a student, you know, there's almost no going back. All that professor needs to do now is demonstrate that there's one part of their Bible that's problematic. If you want to keep this sophisticated idea I gave you, then this part of your Bible doesn't quite work. And so you're going to have to do something. You're going to have to kind of forget about this part of your Bible or know that this part of your Bible just isn't true. The rest is fine. You know, good morals, wonderful. But this part isn't good. Usually it's in Genesis. And usually it has, it's within the first two or three chapters that you have to give something up. Now what this does is puts this, the young person in a really bad spot because the sophistication of the knowledge they were given, they don't think their parents are going to understand. They don't think their pastor is going to understand. And so they think the only person that really understands this is me and my professor and everyone in my class, and I have no one to turn to. And so that thing inside them starts festering, and they think, is this really true? Is Christianity really real? And they don't turn to their parents because their professor, in a very subtle way, has convinced them that your parents really will never understand this stuff because they're those old-fashioned Christian people. And they're very sweet and bless their hearts. But, you know, they're not going to get this. And they believe it. And they let that fester. And that's how their faith begins to rot away inside them. It's a very subtle uh, way of going about it. It's a, it's a way of reaching the heart of the, the kid and making them believe that they have nowhere to turn. And it happens a lot. Every time I give that speech um, at a conference, I have, I have mothers coming to me. Every time I've had at least one or two mothers come to me and say, my son or my daughter has walked away from the faith when they went to a public school or public university. And I'm not saying it's a sin to send your child to a public university. This, the question is, are they ready? Are they ready for that kind of warfare? Have they done the work it takes to have a biblical worldview so grounded that when they walk into that warfare, they see what's going on? Um, and I would say, you know, if you don't feel confident, then do what it takes to get them four more years of training. Because college isn't an end point. It's more training. It's a training place. Uh, because they're going to have their whole life to fight for their faith. And they need that, that training. Well, Renton, thank you so much for being with us here today. I'm glad your kids could come in. And uh, <laughs> I, I always enjoy and learn from listening to you. I just, I can't thank you enough for your time. Oh, thank you for having me. And we'll see you soon. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope this was encouraging and inspiring for you. If you would like more information, you can find me at zantyler.com. Until next time, see you later. <music>